The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. It is, um, it's nothing short of a privilege just to get to share with you this morning and just to tell you um, how much God loves you. I've been praying for you all week and praying for you as um, God was giving me this message and just... Over, I am overwhelmed with the sense that we are all born for such a time as this. And you may not have biological children, but we are the spiritual mothers of this city. And how many of you know that this, mother, this city needs mothers, right? right? And fathers. And I mean, we are in a city where we have 335,000 homeless children. We have 35,000 in the foster care system. We have almost 1,000 that are awaiting adoption that are in the LA, the system, in the DCFS system, but are awaiting. Their parental rights have been terminated, and they're awaiting adoption. We are literally in a city of orphans, of people who don't know who their Heavenly Father is. And it is time for us as mothers and fathers and to stand and be the spiritual parents of this city. So will you, raise, will you stand with me, mothers and women? Will you stand with me just as, I, as we pray? Because I just want to pray for us this morning. So Lord God, I come to the throne of grace, and I thank you. I thank you for, Lord, that you called us for such a time as this, Lord, in a world where we are one of the top five cities for sex trafficking. Lord, we have gender confusion. And Lord, you can't drive down the street without something being, a car being crashed in on the side of the road. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would you would pour through us, Lord, that you would use every cell that we have to bring your love and your grace and your mercy to this city. I bless every single woman and man in this room. I ask, Lord God, for a fresh filling of your spirit. I thank you, Lord God, that you are pleased with us, that you love us, and our only job in life is to live and please you. Thank you for making our list short, Lord. We love you. I bless these women. I love these women. And we thank you in your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So I thought um, I would just share my testimony. A lot of women have heard my testimony. Hopefully we'll have a <clears throat> little different spin on it today. But, um, but some, of, some of you have it. And, you know, we can make assumptions about each other very easily of... Um, who, you know, you think, you may think that I've grown up with an easy life and I may think the same about you or vice versa. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, but what, what the truth is, is that all of us have been through something. Um, and so I grew up, I was actually born in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and then we moved to Texas when I was six years old. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, I grew up, I have one sister and um, my parents. I grew up in the Bible Belt um, where, where I grew up. Every single person that I ever knew was a Christian, and notice the quotation marks, um, because um, I saw a lot of religion, but I didn't see a lot of relationship. And so I walked down the aisle when I was 10 years old and accepted the, Jesus as my Savior. And I remember being in an auditorium or in a, a church and feeling like the pastor, his name was Bo Baker, that he was just talking to me. And I walked down the aisle, and I accepted the Lord as my Savior, and I was weeping, and I didn't know what was happening to me, but I, I knew that there was a change. But because I was 10 years old, I wasn't discipled. And so 
I went back the next day and just became, did the same old things. And so I basically was backslidden day two of my Christianity. And so I just kind of did the things that I saw everybody else doing, which was really, honestly, I saw a lot of unkindness, um, a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of gossip, a lot of slander. And so um, fast forward, when I was 14, my parents um, suddenly divorced, and my mom remarried a guy with five kids. And so it was a, a, a big shakeup in our family. And so I went to go live with my father. <clears throat> and um, when I was 17, I continued on in high school, and when I was 17, I was a senior in high school, I was abducted. I was kidnapped by two guys, and um, they brutally beat me and attempted to murder me. And I didn't die. Um, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> praise God. Um, but really, it's nothing short of a miracle that I didn't, didn't die, because less than 5% of the people that are taken away from the scene of a crime, I was with them for over five hours, um, actually live. And so it was nothing short of a miracle. I prayed to the Lord. Now, again, I was a backslidden 17-year-old, just your average 17-year-old. But God heard my prayers. And he rescued me from this situation. I, you know, it, literally, I can tell you that they, tr- they tried to run over me. They tried to kill me, but they couldn't. And it was absolutely amazing. It was only because God's hand was on me. Um, and so after that, they, just to finish that little chapter, they, um, and we ended up identifying them through a lineup. And, you know, it was only God that when I had a woman police officer come and take me to the hospital and, and she was talking to me, and she said, you know, I know you probably can't think about this now, but I want you to think about prosecuting them. And it was only God that inside of me mustered up this courage, and I said, oh, yeah, I'll, we can go look for them right now. And now what would I have done? I'm not saying I'm tough, but, um, but I was mad, quite frankly. And, and the Lord just put on my heart, you know what? I was their victim for five hours. That's all they get of my life. And you know what? We are not victims. We are victorious for what Jesus has done on the cross. And so it makes God's strength in us is what overcomes pains and trials to make them the triumph. They, that is our strongest part of life. And so anyway, just to fin- finish that story for you, um, one of them got 20 years, one got life because it was a severe situation. Um, and, and I don't blame them. They were kids fatherless. Um, they, were, they were actually 17 and 19. I didn't know it at the time because they had some mask on, but um, at part, partly through it. But they were just kids, and they made bad choices. And, you know, life is about the choices that we make, you know. And by the grace of God, I was able to make choices where I didn't let that linger with me. Um, so anyway, I went on to college. Like I said, I saw I would go back into church, get hurt by girls, go, oh, I can just sleep in and skip all that, and, and leave. And, and what happens is when we don't really have the love of God, when we have religion and not a relationship, we hurt other people because we go, come and join my misery. You are just, you know, they, when, you're, when we have a religion that we're under rather than a relationship that we're in tune with, with the living God, we hurt other people. And so that's what happened to me. And so finally, I, um, I graduated college and I was recruited out here to work in the film industry for a network marketing company. Um, And I came to a place where, for the first time in my life, I met a Catholic person. I met a Jewish person. I met a Taoist, which still don't even really know what that is. Um, And (laughs) 
I met Buddhist people. Like I said, I lived in a, a little Christian Bible belt. Um, and so I came to a place where I said, God, if you're real, I want to know you. And if not, I'm going to clean my house because I like cleaning my house. And um, I'm going to buy flowers and I'm just going to go hiking and do the things that I love. And at that point, the Lord met me in such a radical way. And he began to remove the people out of my life that did not need to be a part of it. And he just took me on this love journey. And I'll never forget, I, I was sitting in a church and kind of got there, happened, it called Metro um, in Santa Monica. And I, they, they were talking about, or the pastor was talking about your first love. And it was at that moment I realized you know, he talked about what it was like to be in love and you can't wait to talk to that person and you don't care and you let people go in traffic and you just have no worries, right? And so, and I came to the, I was like, Lord, I went home and I cried. I'm not really a crier by nature, but I cried and I said, I don't love you. I like you, but I don't know you like that. And I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I want to know, I want to hear you speak. And you know what? I grew up, no, no one ever taught me about the Holy Spirit growing up. But it was that moment that I began to hear the Holy Spirit. I, I realized that I, all the time in my life I had the Holy Spirit. I was just grieving the Holy Spirit left and right because I was just still doing what I wanted to do. And so um, I, I was working, I worked at that network marketing company for a couple of years. And then I ended up, from different circumstances, leaving and going and working in front of the camera and I, I, because I did drama and um, probably had drama and did drama in um, high school and junior high, um, I loved drama. And so I finally had found like what I really loved, what I loved. And so I started I'd taking acting classes and, and getting involved in the industry. I was up for a um, three-year role on a soap opera and I was up for a feature film. And so I had these two things and it was just like, oh my goodness, I am about to make it and prove to the world all my junior high years, I was not whoever they said I was. You know how it is. It's evil. Um, so I had my whole family in Texas praying for this role for um, this soap opera. And I ended up going to an event with my manager. And um, as, as, he was, um, as he was, we were leaving the event, he said, I need to be honest with you something. I can make this deal go through for you. He said, he's my best friend, and I, I, I can make this happen for you but I need to be honest with you. I really like you. Yeah, me too, right? Hashtag me too. He was 64, I was 24. And I literally, another defining moment in life where I just said, you want me to prostitute myself for a soap opera role? Like, it was just so foreign to me and I was literally so mad. Like, I could not believe her. I've got all my family and I'm gonna have to go back and go, nah, never mind. Um, but I, I was heartbroken. And then the feature film that I was supposed to do, a name actor, actress decided she wanted to do it, and so I was just completely history. And so I went on a hill, and I play, prayed to God, and I just said, Lord, here you had two open doors, and these just were ugly, and they got shut. And what do I do? And the Lord said to me, I want you to lay it down. And I knew at that moment, and it was supernatural wisdom because I didn't have a lot of wisdom, still don't have a tremendous amount, but I, I, I said, this is a little God in my life if the Lord is asking me to lay it down. But the amazing thing is the last thing I got to do as an actress was I got to play Mary 
at a, just a Christmas event that we did on the West Side. And the way that I studied acting is it's just child's play, it's pretend. You just get to, you just, you, you study the words of the person, it's called Meisner Technique, so much that when you, when you get up to do the part, you just are that person. Now, not really, but you know what I mean. You're just pretending like a child, you know, like you're pretending like you're a rabbit or whatever. But, um, so I'm playing Mary, and I literally had this moment where Christy was completely gone, and I got to be the mother of Jesus. I was chosen to bring Jesus to the world. I got off the stage, again, I'm not a crier, by just not normally anyway. I got off the stage and I wept. It was the most amazing experience I had ever had. And, you know, sometimes when it's your last thing, you don't know it's your last thing, right? Your last time to do something. That was the last time I ever acted. And yet, the Lord was speaking to me and saying, this is what I've chosen you to do. And at that moment, when I was on that hill in Malibu, I had a decision to make. I went from trying to make a name for myself, trying to prove myself good, trying to make a name for myself, to getting a decision to make a name for the most high living God. I, I went from living for the applause and approval of man to living to the audience of one. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, when I um, was preparing for this and, and just realizing, like I said, that that's all of us. We have been chosen to bring Jesus to the world. We are all expecting. We are all bringing Jesus, man and woman, that is our only job. That is the only thing that we are left here on earth to do is to bring Jesus to a lost and dying world. That is amazing. That's an amazing opportunity. I think about what exactly was going through Mary. Mary was young. We don't know exactly how old she was, but she was, I'm going to say, a good 15. She was a teenager. And what had Mary had to do in order to be prepared to carry the savior of the world, to the world. And I think, you know what? She had to be surrendered. First of all, a big giant angel comes and visits her. And the fact that she didn't drop dead at 15 means that she probably was used to holy visitations before. Right? She, she was expectant before she was expecting. And I also want to say to you that this is not the first time that she has said yes to God. Because God just doesn't show up in our life. We're just living our lives for ourselves, and then he just shows up in our lives and says, I want you to do this big thing. He says, be faithful with the little things. Luke 16.10 says, if you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. We are all merry. We are all chosen to bring Jesus to the lost and dying world. And I want to suggest to you that if you are not experiencing lack, satisfaction in your life, if, you're, if you feel like you're lacking, 
You know, for so long I lived like that. I, I lived backslidden. I, I probably have a degree in backsliddenness. Um, but I, I lived in this place where I was living for me and I was miserable. And no matter what accolades or what, how much money I made, I was still desperate because I wasn't fulfilling the calling that God had called for me. And I suggest to you that it's not the church, it's not the pastor, it's not the hard chairs, it's that you are not being fed because your manna is to go and bring Jesus to the world. And so, you know, there are really four stages of Christianity. And, I mean, it could, arguably you could say five, but I mean, for just short, for, we're going to go four. So it's not just one prayer and then hold on until you get to heaven and, and have fire insurance, which is kind of what I thought in the beginning, right? It's, we, we go through these, and we can't mistake Bible knowledge, years of attendance, physical education, being able to speak Christianese, um, physical age or education for maturity. You know, we've reduced Christianity down to tithing, serving, and attendance as mature Christianity, and there's so much more. Those are just the beginning stages. And so there's basically the first stage, and that's infancy. That means when you're just a new believer and you have, everything has to be done for you. You're fed. You think about an infant. You, you're fed. You are taken care of. There's lots of nurture. It's not bad to be a new believer and you'll be an infant in Christ, as long as you don't stay there. There's nothing attractive about a 40-year-old nursing infant, right? Like, that's just gross. So, so you, you go from infant, and then we grow up, and we become a child. And you think about children. Children are self, selfish by nature. They just want what they want, and they want it right now. And they want, you know, well, I want this program, and I want that program. And so they just live for themselves. And most Christians stay right in this stage all through their life. Like they think, I, I'm coming here to get. But then we move on. If we're growing in Christ, we move on to adult, young adult. And that's where we begin to serve others, sacrifice, know that connection and being part of a family, it, it, it means something and it's important. And we begin to to center ourselves in humility of what can I give? Because everything that God ever created was created to give, not to take. And that's the stage of our Christianity where we begin to learn that. And then finally, parenthood. And this is, this is the, the last stage of our Christianity, but should last a long time. And that's where we live that surrendered life. We could do it like Mary when we're 15, or we can do it when we're 50, or we can do it when we're 80. But it's that surrendered life where we begin to multiply, reach others, help others grow. We re reproduce and we make disciples. And Mary wasn't qualified. She was surrendered. She had completely surrendered to the Lord. And you know, I know you've heard this saying before, they, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. A real Christianity begins to, the, on the day that we say, I surrender. Not my will in my life, but yours be done. Years ago, the Lord told me when I was sitting in church that he said, I, Christy, I'm not building a country club. Now, I don't know about you, but I like country clubs. Um, <laughs> this is very comfortable. But he said, I'm building the kingdom of God, and it looks totally different. And so sometimes I think we get in this country, country club mentality where we think, oh, I want this and I want that and I need this and I need that. When we begin to realize that we are all called to be carriers of Christ to a lost and dying world. And, but, and when you're standing on the outside, honestly, that looks really boring and horrible. 
But when you are doing it, it is like living on the edge. There is nothing greater. And you are fed, and you don't even really think about food, which is a miracle in and of itself, right? And, and you're able to, to move on, you know, and, and to look and see people. And then you begin to get words of wisdom, words of knowledge. You see people that are hurting, people that are broken, people that are carrying things that they shouldn't or intended to carry. But it's not until we surrender our lives that we're able to do that. Um, I had the honor of going to a celebration of life a couple of weeks ago, and as I was walking through the cemetery, I, it, it just was, it really hit me hard that this, whatever conversations these people in this cemetery needed to have, they were, they were had. Some of them had absolutely no warning. Some of them had warning. But whatever was done was done, and there was nothing more that could be done. And we've heard it say that it's, it's not when we were born or when we died, but how we live in that dash. You know, and I'll ask you today, how are you spending your dash? You know, it, when, when Jesus comes back, it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And I wrote this song not a lot years ago. But, um, but it, it's with that verse, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, But it said, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, will you look around and wonder what you missed? And you know, it's that we want to fulfill. Each and every one of us has a unique destiny and a unique calling. And we are, we're called for such a time as this. Um, We are not also chosen to bring Jesus into the world, but we are called to be expectant. We are called to be ready and willing for God to move through us in an unprecedented way. Mary expected the impossible with God, and she even said, for nothing is impossible with God. So when an angel came and told her she was going to be pregnant, she's 15 years old. In the society today, that might not carry the stigma that it would carry, but back then, that was an amazing shame that she knew that she was going to have to endure. But she didn't look at herself or how it was going to affect her. She looked at God and she said, let it be to me as you have said. And John 14, 12 says, very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and even greater things, greater things will he do because I'm going to the Father. We are to be expectant of greater things. We can't live in safe Christianity. We can't just say the magic prayer, come to church, and hold on till Jesus comes back and arrives safely at death's doorstep. We are supposed to spend our lives because that is what really living is all about. It's the second part of Mark 16 says, well, Mark 16 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that accomplished, accompanied it. The Lord wants us to go out. And you know, we don't have to go to Africa, although Africa is wonderful. We can go to work. 
right, and bring his presence and wait for an opportunity and listen to his voice. But we are all called. Pastor Brian is probably the, sees the least amount of non-Christians a week. Do you realize that? God has planted us all throughout the city. And I just get this picture of these bright lights shining in the darkness. And he's planted us all over this city to do his work. This is our job. This isn't Pastor Brian's job. I mean, he has his own realm to reach and he has to encourage us and to build us up. But this is our job. This is the reason we're still on earth. Otherwise, God would have taken us out and taken us home. And it's not that we're seeking signs. Signs accompany his word. So you don't, when you're driving down the freeway, you don't see the sign and go, oh, there's Oxnard. I'll go home now. Right? No, signs just tell you you're on the right way, right? We don't need to be afraid of signs. Signs accompany us. A signs accompany who Jesus is. James 1.23 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in the, at his face in the mirror and after look at him, looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him is who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask for or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. That's who we serve that's who died for us. That's who told us that we can do greater things. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask for or imagine. I can imagine a lot. I have a great imagination, right? Do you? I can imagine a lot that he says he can do more than I imagine if we surrender, if we give our lives over. And that's really what it's about. You know, I remember a story that Lily was telling me about when she was in YWAM, and she was in, uh, in some country, and she didn't even speak the language, and they were going around and ministering, and I don't know how all that works, so I don't know. But there was this one lady, and she had a giant tumor in her stomach. And she said, I want you to pray for my tumor, and I want Jesus to take this tumor away right now. And she's like, I know he is. So they guess she had an interpreter. So Lily, in her own language, prays and says, God, this girl thinks you're going to take away her tumor. You need to do that right now. And as she was doing that, the girl's tumor began to shrink until it was completely gone. That's the God we serve. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they said, we're going to go in that fire, and God will save us, but if not. And that is what we are called to do, to know that no matter where we go, we usher in God's presence. Wherever we go, we change the atmosphere. We change the atmosphere because his presence is inside, the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and he says he accompanies the work that we're doing. We're also called to live intentionally. We're called to live, be intentional and to live intentionally. Mary purposed in her heart to be faithful to the Lord. No one gets to their destiny by accident. There's a lot Mary had to say no to. She had to say no to vaping. She had to say no to Snapchat. She had to say no to Netflix. I mean, we have to say no to some things, and I'm not saying all those things are evil. Well, yeah, maybe. I could argue with you. Right. But, um, but what I'm saying is our sin in this culture is distraction and busyness. 
And Mary had to say no to a lot to say yes to Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I just want to ask us today, church, are we living intentionally? Philippians 2.17 says, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice. You know, when, we're, when you pour something out, if I were to pour this water bottle out, you can't get it back in the, the bottle, no matter what, right? You might get a little drop in there, but you are not. But God promises to refill us. But we are called to pour out to a lost and dying world. And here's the thing is that we cannot live in one world and expect freedom from another. We cannot live by the flesh and expect a a spirit-filled life. We have to live and breathe and think by the Spirit of God. You know, when I I just went away, I got the opportunity actually to go away twice in about a one-month period, which is nothing short of miraculous because my amazing husband said it good. I went away skiing and just asked the Lord, Lord, I just want to hear your voice. I want to have words for people. I want to be able to... To just, to just be your vessel. And, you know, this is when I'm not getting kids to come along with me and doing all that, and there's, there was no distraction and just time to spend time in his word. Um, and I had the opportunity to lead four people to the Lord, two rededications. The Lord was giving me amazing words for people. And, you know, that's what's available to us on a daily basis. But we have to be in tune with him. You know, I think it was Martin Luther that said, I have so much to do that I have to pray for three hours today. You know, it's amazing how God makes room for us. He makes room for everything that we have to do. If we seek first the kingdom of God, he promises all things will be added unto us. <clears throat> and you think about this, this gigantic angel appears to Mary, and he says, you who are highly favored, You know, some of us, we've heard favor, maybe even overused in the church sometimes. And favor is not for status. Favor is for purpose. She was highly favored because she was chosen to bring the Savior of the world into the world. You know, often our greatest trials are our life's defining moments in life. For Mary, it was, would you be an unwed mother? You don't even know. She didn't even know how Joseph was going to receive this, right? Brian loves me, but if I would have gotten pregnant when we were engaged, I can guarantee you I wouldn't be standing here right now. We would have probably not made it. Um, for David, will you find this giant? You know, if, if David would have fought a nine-year-old, nobody would be talking about him today. But it was a giant. It's something that's overwhelming, overcoming, that we have to lay our life down. That those are the things that God can move greatest in. For Noah, it was, will you be, build an ark when it had never even rained? Can you imagine how crazy? I mean, this was not, Noah was not being applauded every day. They were jeering and telling him how stupid and horrible he was and, and, how, and how lame he was. For Daniel, will, we, will you refuse to bow down to other gods? Daniel refused, even to the point of going to the lion's den. You know, it's, I ask you today, like, what are your defining moments? Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you choose to go not be a victim, but to be a victor? Will you forgive those people in your past and let them go? Will you be an overcomer? Will you choose Jesus over the accumulation of wealth and fame and making a name for yourself? Are you willing to lay your life down? 
you know, it's that dash. Life is short. And as older I get, the more I realize how fast it's going by. And I, for one, want to see people come to Jesus. That's what I want known for my name to be known for, is that she loved Jesus and she loved me well, despite all my many, many, many faults. What I ask you today, what are your defining moments? You know, our greatest struggles in our life, the very fact that I was abducted when I was 17-year-old gives me opportunity to speak to women all over and to be able to tell them, your greatest fear, God can get you over and use it for his glory. And that's the thing, is that our, our, our biggest struggles in life, the thing we think that we just can't let go of, they're, they're our greatest pain yields our greatest strength. You know, every time we're going through a struggle, you know, in James it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. Why? Because you're building perseverance. You're, you're building overcoming power. You're building hope that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's going to do what, he's going to, what he's going to, said he's going to do. You know, in Hebrews 12, it, um, it's after Hebrews 11, which is the great hall of faith, and it ends in how great all these people did, and they walked by faith, and they didn't yet see their reward. And it ends with this. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better <clears throat> for us, that only together with us they would be made perfect. Did you get that right there? That there they are. Who, who is they? They is Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Esther, Daniel, John the Baptist, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. They are the great cloud of witnesses, the guy who was sawed in half for his faith, who would not deny Jesus and was sawed in half. They are the great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us, cheering us on to finish our destiny, our leg of the race. They are waiting to receive their reward. I don't know about you, but I hate being late, and I hate anybody having, knowing anybody's waiting on me. And that fuels me, and I hope it fuels you today to know that, and goes on to Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out with us for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You are highly favored, not for status, but for purpose, a purpose that only each and every one of you can fulfill. You are blessed. You have been chosen to bring the Savior of the world to a lost and dying world. You have been chosen to bring eternity with signs and wonders. It is time for us to rise, church. It's time for us to be the spiritual mothers and fathers of this city. You know, you can go to 
You can go to Smart and Final. You can go to Trader Joe's and bring God's glory. I think I've had the privilege of leading three people at Trader Joe's to the Lord. It's been amazing. And that's just because I have to go to the grocery store a lot. But wherever we go, we don't have to go on some special mission trip to bring Jesus. But if you need to go on a special mission trip to activate your faith, then let's do so. Let's do whatever we need to do to fulfill our God-given destiny to move outside of our comfort zone, to pray like never before, to love this city and bring love and truth to this city like never before, to be expecting and to be expectant for him to move in an unprecedented way, to be intentional in everything we do. This, right now, is one of your defining moments, our defining moments. Will you stand with me and be like Mary and say, let it be to me. As you have said, nothing is impossible with God. You are called for such a time as this. If that's you and that spoke to you, please rise and Brian and I are going to pray for you. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.